You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. I've seen it a couple of times as I cruise around. Some of my favorite channels are uh, the Discovery Channel and uh, the Smithsonian has a channel. Because uh, then I feel like I'm, I'm learning while I'm really just sitting watching TV. Um, but uh, both of those uh both of those channels, uh, production companies, have produced shows, and there's probably been others. I've read a couple of articles on the idea of the Yellowstone super volcano. Have you ever heard of this? This is the idea that, uh, you know, where Yellowstone is up in, in the northwest corner of Wyoming and into Montana, that, that, um, that, uh, obviously, is a, a high volume of geothermal activity. There's geysers, there's these hot pools, and that uh, deep within the earth uh, is, is this lava and magma and other words I don't fully understand that are working, and that someday uh, that, that the volcano could erupt. They, I was reading this week and saw that there's uh, a place in Idaho that they're excavating that's over 20 feet of ash from when they think that that volcano exploded before. And so then in, in these shows or, or in these articles you'll read, they'll have these illustrations or, or these animations that'll show if the volcano erupts, what kind of damage would it do? Now living in Denver, we're not right near, but you know bad things could happen. But here's the truth. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the Yellowstone super volcano. It doesn't keep me up at night. I'm not worried about it. I'm not doing any kind of volcano remediation concerns at my house, whatever those might be. Um, Because uh, for a couple of reasons. One, scientists say that the chances of that happening anytime soon are, are pretty remote. And two, we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about it. So I guess we could sit around and worry about it, but that's about all we could do. This morning we are beginning a series talking about a heart for the gospel. And this morning we're going to talk about some things that absolutely will happen. When Jesus Christ said that he would return, He is going to return. And we have an opportunity to affect this world for the gospel. It's not like a super volcano that we just can't do anything about. While it is a big and an eternal event, we have the opportunity to make an eternal impact. And so we're talking about this idea of a heart for the gospel. And so we talked about this last week on Easter Sunday, but I want us to begin by defining the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word gospel is a church word. It's a, it's, it's a word in the Bible. But what does it mean? It literally just means good news. Now, we hear gospel used in all kinds of things. You know, someone will say something and they'll say, and that's 
And, and in that case, they're meaning that's truth. That's, that's, that's real. Some people refer to gospel music, and, and I guess that's a thing. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have a definition for you of what is and isn't gospel music. But the gospel as referred to in Scripture is defined in several places, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we looked at this passage last week. Paul, the apostle, is writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing a letter, and we have it as the book in our Bible of 1 Corinthians, the first letter he wrote. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, he says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news or gospel that saves us, saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So Paul says, listen, this is the good news. You believed it. You stand in it. Uh, it is true. You don't have to worry about, well, maybe I believe something that wasn't true. And these verses three, three and four, he's going to define it. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. This is it. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture says, he was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture says. He goes on in that passage and says, and then he was seen by the disciples. He did this work. He did this thing. And then he ascended into heaven. It tells us all about Christ. And certainly this is not a comprehensive statement about what Jesus did and who Jesus is. These verses don't tell us that Jesus was a perfect sacrifice and that he lived a sinless life, but we know that he did. These verses don't tell us that he was born of a virgin and, and God miraculously brought him forth uh, from Mary, but we know that he did. So there's more to how what we can learn about Jesus and what we can learn about God, but this is the essence of the gospel, that Jesus Christ did not die for no reason. It's a historical fact that Jesus died. Very few people uh, would deny that. There's much record of Jesus, both within Scripture and outside of Scripture, and he died of a crucified on the cross. But he died for our sins. This was the reason that he died. And he rose again on the third day. This proves his power. It demonstrates his power over sin and death. And because of those two facts, that he died for our sin and that he rose again, the, the implications for us are, are amazing and they're eternal. If the one who said, I sacrifice myself for you, and I have the power to forgive sins. Well, what's the proof of that? The proof is the empty tomb. He said, you want to know that I have power over sin? Let me show you that I have power over death. And so because he has shown his power over sin and death, then we can put our trust in Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus. It is the gospel. And so this morning, we want to begin talking about having a heart for the gospel. Usually, most years in November or December, as I kind of see the end of the year approaching and 
Thanksgiving is coming and Christmas. I generally have the rest of the year in my preaching plan. I begin to think about the next year. And even during COVID, I begin to do that. And this message series, these next four weeks, were the very first and sort of uh, the, the heart of how I've planned our preaching for this entire year, or at least this entire first half of the year. This was what these messages were. Then I said, okay, well, what am I going to do before that? And what am I going to do after that? But this was sort of the first thing that I planned. And it was this idea that I believe as Christians in general, and specifically within Belmar Church, and first and foremost within me, what I felt God was stirring within me is I needed to have a renewed passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I needed to be reminded of the importance of of it in my life, and I needed to have a burden to share it with others that I come into contact with, and I needed to have a burden and a passion to see the gospel spread across our country and around the world. Because I believe that Jesus is the hope of this world. It is not found in politicians or policies. It is not found in revolutions or war. The hope of this world is Jesus Christ. Listen, we've seen tragedies unfold. We're seeing a trial up in Minnesota over a tragedy that was videotaped and broadcast across our country. We saw just a few weeks ago a tragedy happen in Boulder. And and, and let me tell you, we can talk about police reform and we can talk about how we ought to enforce laws and what people ought to do. We can talk about gun control and the instruments of, of, of destruction that take place. But the very heart, of what we're dealing with is evil in the heart of men and women. And men and women seeking to hurt and to harm other men and women for whatever reason. And the heart of that is sin. And the antidote for that is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the hope for the world. You say, okay, preacher, so if I have Jesus, everything in my life is just gonna be perfect? No. But I'm going to tell you this, the difference between Jesus and no Jesus is eternally significant. When we talk about a heart for the gospel and we talk about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we are talking about the stakes are eternal. The stakes are eternal. And so we want to look at a passage this morning in John chapter 6, excuse me, Luke chapter 16 where Jesus Christ is speaking and teaching. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, verse number 19, and if you have a a, a red-letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, then all the rest of the words that we're going to read this morning are in red because they're the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus said. He said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. 
You could not find a greater contrast of two people than this rich man and Lazarus in the condition in which they were living. The Bible says that this rich man, uh, the, the King James says, he fared sumptuously every day. He ate a rich and extravagant meal every day. And that's pretty amazing to think about when you consider the times in which Jesus is speaking. You consider that um, in order to have steak, uh, a cow had to be killed and it, it wasn't frozen or refrigerated. They had some preservation techniques, but generally speaking, to have an extravagant meal took extravagant preparation and took extravagant wealth. And this guy ate like that every day. He was rich, not just because he put on airs. Jesus himself said he was rich. And Lazarus was a beggar. He was looking for scraps from the rich man's table. His health care was dogs licking his sores. This was the condition. This man, uh, Lazarus, had some kind of an affliction, some kind of open wounds, and the care for that was dogs licking his sores. They couldn't have stood in greater contrast. Finally, the poor man died, was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried. He went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Now, I recognize, and we're going to look at Revelation as we progress through this message this morning, that this is uh, the condition, the eternal condition, prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So from a doctrinal standpoint, uh, this isn't exactly uh, where we would go as believers in Christ when we die. It's not exactly where those who don't believe uh, would end up for eternity, but it does give us a detailed picture. And what it says is Lazarus is in paradise and the rich man is in agony. Think about what he asked for. Could Lazarus come over here, take his finger, dip it in water that a few drops might come on my tongue to cool me from this torture and this agony that I am in. All he can think about is just a drop or two of water. Such is the torment and the agony that he is facing. But Abraham said to him, verse 25, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing, so now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And beside there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over uh, to us from there. 
The rich man goes on and he says, if, if, I can't, if I can't have any relief, at least I would like to make sure that nobody that I care about would come here. And he says, Abraham, could you send Lazarus back? Could you send him to my brothers to warn them that they might not have to come and endure this torment? And Abraham says, they, they don't need it. They don't need Lazarus. They have the scriptures. I mean, surely they'll believe the scriptures. The scriptures warn us about this. The scriptures tell us how to avoid this. And if they won't believe the scriptures, they won't believe if someone would rise from the dead. And we as followers of Jesus, we in our, this world today have both the scriptures and the testimony of one who has risen from the dead. But the stakes are eternal. Listen, I love to preach on heaven. I love to preach the fact that we as followers of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you, then the Bible says Jesus is faithful to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and to seal you for an eternity in heaven. I love to talk about that. Matter of fact, John chapter 14, in verse number one, Jesus said this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you I am, that I am going to prepare a place for you when everything is ready. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I cannot wait for eternity in heaven. Listen, we have no idea. Think about the, the most amazing landscape that you have ever seen. We have the great privilege of living in Colorado. And I enjoy going to the mountains. I, I enjoy even spending some time occasionally on the prairies. And I've gotten to, to do a little bit of traveling in my life and see some beautiful places. And everything I've ever laid my eyes on is a sinful, fallen version of what God intended in his creation. What must heaven be like? Oh, prophets have, see, have, have, have tried to, uh, to, to describe it. They've been inspired by the Spirit, and yet I still think we are going to be amazed and shocked when we get to heaven. James says that every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. And heaven is that place where there is every, the source of every good that we know of in a perfect state, and we will spend forever there. But if God's love is true, and if heaven is real, then so too is judgment and hell. And I don't like to think about that. And I don't enjoy preaching about that. But it's equally true and it's in God's word. And just because I don't like it or just because you want to ignore it doesn't make it less true. And we can't ignore it as, as believers in scripture. Revelation chapter 20 in verse number 10, gives us some description. 
It says, Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There, uh, there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is a place of eternal punishment. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled away from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what uh, they had done as recorded in the book. In the books, the sea gave up the, its dead and, and death uh, and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged, judged according to their deeds. Notice what the judgment is. It says twice there that everybody who has ever lived is judged according to their deeds. I believe and I think scripture teaches us that on that day, we will recognize that every human who has ever lived it deserves to spend eternity in hell. Because every human who has ever lived has sinned. We've all done things to fall short of God's standard, which is holiness. We've lied. We've stolen. We've deceived. We, and we... And, and we even when we do good, uh, the motives of our hearts are our own pride and our own desire that others would see the good that we do. Because Jeremiah says that our heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked. And so we're judged for our deeds. And then verse 14 says, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Listen, where the rich man went, this place of, of Hades, that is actually taken and placed, into, thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible doesn't say that we'll live for eternity in heaven or hell. It says we'll live for eternity in heaven or we will eternally die in hell, in this, in this lake of fire. It is torment forever and ever. It's not living. Listen, people that say, well, you know, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are. Nobody's your friend in hell. It's not living. You're dying, but you're never dead. You're tormented, but it's never over. But, verse 15 says, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But that also means for us that anyone whose name is in the book of life is not going to the lake of fire. No wonder Revelation chapter 20 ends with verse 15. No wonder just a few verses later after the introduction of a new earth and a new city in Revelation 21, verse four says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. 
All these things are gone forever. Because the scripture isn't explicit about this, but I believe we'll see this. We'll stand before God and we'll recognize that we're deserving of eternal judgment. But because, if you know Christ as your Savior, because of God's grace, we'll be spared that eternity, eternal death and we will get eternal life. But I don't believe that there would be a person alive who will witness that that won't weep at that sight. Whether, whether we know those souls or not here on the earth, we're going to weep to see the destruction and the damnation that, that, that people are going to endure. God wipes away tears because we're going to be shedding them. The stakes are high. Eternity is literally at stake. This is at the heart of the gospel. It is the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in, in the lake of fire. And folks, we need to understand what the stakes are. So what's God's plan? Surely God, God has a plan, right? Well, of course, it began with Jesus. He sent his son to die. And then Jesus laid out the plan in Acts chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, the four stories of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts is the history of the first church. And so in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is still on the earth. He's died. He's risen again. He's shown himself to his disciples. He's still on the earth. And then in Acts chapter 1, he gathers with his followers. It says in verse number 6, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? Now, what are they talking about? Free Israel from their sin? No, they're still thinking in terms of the occupation of the Roman Empire, right? Is now, are you gonna, are you gonna sit on a throne? Are you gonna rule us? Are we gonna see the coming of your kingdom? And listen to what Jesus said. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Now, I'm not gonna preach about that verse, but that's a good verse to keep in mind. Matter of fact, I, I, I'll just chase a rabbit here for a second. Someone comes to you and they say, hey, listen, I, I, I can tell you what's about to happen and I can tell you a timetable for that to happen. They just happen to disagree with Jesus. So I would run from that. Because people that disagree with Jesus, that doesn't end well. Just, just side note. Um, but, verse eight, you will receive or when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now it's interesting what Jesus says here, right? He says, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you will be my witness and you're gonna tell people and you're gonna tell people in Jerusalem. Where were they? They were right outside of Jerusalem. They, that's, that's where they were. He says, you're going to tell people in Jerusalem. You're going to start right where you are. 
And then you're going to tell them in Judea. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us. What's Judea? Judea is the region of Jerusalem. We, we might think of it as a state, although Judea is not as big as, as, as our states. It's just that region around Jerusalem. And, and so, like, if you look at a map, most of where Jesus spent all of his time was to the west of the, of the Jordan River. And Jerusalem is there, and Judea is that region. Jesus was from Galilee, which was up in the north. And between Galilee and Judea is a place called Samaria. It's another region. There's a town of Samaria, but that's a region too. You know who lived in, the, in Samaria? Samaritans. You guys are brilliant. Yes. Yes. You got it. But of course, if, you, if, you've, if you've read the Gospels and you know about the woman at the well, you know that the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. But what did Jesus say? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. And then he says, to the uttermost ends of the world. That's pretty amazing for a group of men that probably had never traveled more than 100 miles from where they were born. But God was going to miraculously spread the gospel. After saying this, verse 9, he was taken up into the clouds while they were watching and they could no longer see them. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. The Bible says that literally Jesus ascended into heaven. For Christmas, my wife bought me a drone um, because I wanted it, because I like toys. I do. I, I bought my children a remote control car every year for Christmas for about 10 years. Not for them. It wasn't for them. I was usually pretty clear about that. One year I didn't buy a remote control car. One year I bought this uh, styrofoam thing. It was advertised on TV. I think Ty was, my boy was about seven years old. He kind of wanted it, but I wanted it really bad. It would fly and go on the water. It was great. That thing lasted about two hours, but man, we had a good time. But it's been a couple of years since I've had anything remote controlled. So I asked my wife for a drone and she bought it for me. And uh, she, I don't ever buy the extended warranty on anything, but she bought the extended warranty on that. And uh, I would have been angry when I found out about that, but I didn't find out about it until I crashed it and it broke. And so then I couldn't really be mad at her, but uh, I've only crashed it and broke it once. Uh, and it got fixed because we got the extended warranty. But I love to fly that thing. I fly it all around my house. I found all kinds of things about my neighbors. <laughs> it is true. Uh, but it goes up. It'll go up like 500 feet. And, and then you, it's got a camera, and so you're flying it by the camera. And you kind of know where it's at. And then as it comes back down, I'll be watching for it. I can't see it. Maybe I can hear it. But it's, it's, it's only about that big, and so it's hard to spot. But I can imagine those disciples standing there watching Jesus 
And you know one of them lost him pretty quick. And then they're like, he's like, I guess he's gone. And the other one's like, no, I can still see him. He's like, where? Well, see that? Oh, well, now he's gone. And they're all just sitting there looking up. And then two angels appear. And what do they say? Verse 11. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday, what? He will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The angels said, just like he left, he's coming back. Jesus told his followers in John, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I'm all prepared, I'm going to return. Jesus will come again. And God has a plan. So very quickly, as we, as we wrap this up this morning, we understand that sharing the gospel, that, that, that a heart for the gospel has eternal significance. It is literally the difference between heaven and hell. Jesus has promised that he's going to return again. And so God has a plan. And the plan was laid out in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, you know what? He, he told his followers right there, he said, you go be my witnesses. Doesn't it seem like there ought to be more? Like, I'll be honest with you. If I'm Jesus and I'm looking at these guys, I'm like, you guys can't get across uh, the Sea of Galilee in a storm uh, without totally losing it and not having any faith. And now I'm entrusting you with the good news for the entire world. But that's what he did. And by virtue of that, he's entrusting us. And so I want to give you just a couple of things that we need to do. Four things that we need to do as we close this morning. Number one, we need to pray. Jesus said in, Je in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announced the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And thank goodness people aren't like that today. And this is what he said to his disciples. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to, the Lord, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into this field. We should be praying. Now, I'll just, I'll just warn you. If you pray for patience, God is going to bring circumstances in your life that are going to build patience in your life. And if you pray for God... To, to send more workers in the field, you know what he's liable to do? Enlist you in that process. But we ought to be in prayer for the spread of the gospel. We ought to all have a list of men and women, friends and family that we know that do not know Christ as our Savior, that we are praying for that God will save them. And we ought to, in that, be praying about how God could use us to be part of that process because that's his plan, to use us. Are we praying for the spread of the gospel? Our missionaries send letters, and we call them prayer letters. You know why? Because they list requests that they have. 
There's about five out there from our missionaries. Are we praying for them? I'm not talking about, you know, God bless this food and, hey, bless the missionaries. I'm talking about are we going to God and saying, Lord, this is the need. This is what's happening in Mongolia, God, and these are the, these are the, 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 the stresses that the Ballingers are dealing with, and, God, I'm asking you to move. God, this is what's happening right now in Brussels, and these are the challenges that the Penners have, and I'm asking you to move. God, uh, th- this is the, the challenge that other missionaries have, and, and we want you to overcome these things. God, I know COVID's affected me, but it's affected our missionaries. Some of them stuck in the countries in which they're at, but they can't minister. Some of them stuck apart, away from the countries that they desire to go to, and they can't get there. And God, I'm asking you to move and work in these situations. Are we praying for the spread of the gospel? Are we praying that people right here at Belmar Church will come to know Christ, that they'll be baptized and discipled and grow in him and that God will do a work in their lives? And how can we say we care about things of eternity if we're not praying to our God about them? So we need to pray. Not only that, we need to be witnesses Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his followers, you'll be witnesses for me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we have, uh, Matthew records uh, similar where Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You might say, well, preacher, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Listen, I recognize that there are some people that are better at sharing the gospel than others. But all of us have been given the assignment to be witnesses. And maybe it's the people right in your home. But are we developing relationships and are we working to be a witness for Christ? We're going to talk more about this next week. But we need to pray. We need to be witnesses. And then we need to support. Romans chapter 10. I often quote Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 as it relates to salvation where it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to respond to the idea of where you will spend eternity. And Romans 10, 13 says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as followers of Jesus, we cling to that, don't we? But do we know verses 14 and 15? But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. One of the things I'm praying about is that we as as a church will expand 
our heart for the gospel. That I, as the pastor, as, as a follower of Jesus, will be a better witness to the people that I come into contact with, that we, as a group of people, will be better witnesses here in Lakewood and Jefferson County. And that we will increase our capacity for missions around the world. I've got missionaries that call me or contact me most every week, but certainly multiple times a month. Hey, we'd love to come and present what God's called us to do, and we're trying to raise money, and we're trying to get to the field, but most of the time, we don't have the money. It's not just about money, but that's part of it. If we really, the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know how many Raiders shirts and hats I've purchased in my life? Zero. Because I wouldn't give a red dime to something my heart's not into like that. Just saying. If you're a Raiders fan, God bless you. He better. Uh, anyway. Why? Because that's not what my heart's about. If our hearts, if we have a heart for the gospel, our money's going to follow that. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. We need to pray. We need to witness. We need to support. And for some of you, God may be calling you to go. There may be people right here this morning that God may have you to consider being a missionary or carrying the gospel uh, maybe to uh, someplace here in the States or someplace around the world. And, and changing some of your uh, life goals and some of your life action for the cause of Christ. Some of you parents, you may need to, you may need to pray and be okay with your kids making that decision. Because I'll tell you, I, I want my kids near me, but I want them near Jesus. And, and I'd much rather have them halfway around the world and close to Jesus than living next door to me and not close to him at all. All right. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask uh, May to uh, end our feed uh, online this morning. But we're going to have a time of invitation. We don't do that a lot where I ask you to publicly respond. But I'm going to ask you to publicly respond and consider. You can come to the front here. You can kneel uh, at your chair if you'd like. You can pray in your seat. You don't have to move. But we can at least pray that God would begin to stir in our hearts a heart for his gospel, for his good news. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. There's no more important conversation that could be had this morning. I would love to show you from God's word how you could know Christ as your Savior. There are folks here that would, would love to have that conversation with you. It is literally a matter of eternity between heaven and judgment.
Dear God, Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for your love for us, a love that sent your son to die and a love that demonstrated its power in, in, the, in the resurrection in the empty tomb. And God, although I don't fully understand it, I, 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 I respect and appreciate your great wisdom that, that said the best way for the spread of the gospel was for your Holy Spirit to empower flawed men and women in the church. And Lord, you are continually demonstrating your power as you work in us. Because God, outside of you, we can do nothing. And so Lord, I pray that we would allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives. I pray, God, that we would, we would allow your Holy Spirit to stir in us a heart for the gospel. God, that we would we would pray that when the opportunity comes, we would witness, that we would give and support, and God, that some of us would go. Lord, I pray that we would submit to whatever it is that you call us to do today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.